And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Spin Rate presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. That's right. This is Spin Rate, the Athletics Toronto Blue Jays podcast. My name is Drew Fairservice, and welcome to the first off-season edition of Spin Rate. we got a lot to talk about, I think. This is a very interesting off-season on the horizon. You can't see me right now, but I'm doing like the look on the horizon thing with my hands over my eyes, trying to keep the sun, because the Blue Jays have a lot of things to do this off-season. So let's consider this the off-season primer episode of Spin Rate. And there is no person who is more primed for the off-season who is more in need of a break, as well as ready to go and break it all down. And the co-host of Spin Rate, she covers the Toronto Blue Jays for The Athletic. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. Caitlin, welcome. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes. Happy Thanksgiving. It is Thanksgiving here in Canada. If you don't know, if you... Your name is Rob, and you live in New Jersey, and you're listening to this, and uh, it is Canadian Thanksgiving, which comes less than two weeks after the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, Um, Mm -hmm. and apparently we did not spend enough time thinking about it, because now we're all like, Happy Thanksgiving, everybody! Look at all these goddamn turkeys and gourds! Um, I... I, I, uh, I've I've been trying to think a little bit differently about Thanksgiving this time around. Um, And I saw... I saw... I saw... a very interesting thing on TikTok, actually, maybe like an hour ago, that has even I was like, maybe we can call it like the harvest celebration. Mm-hmm. This guy on TikTok was like, yeah, it's that's I get that, but also part of the reservation system was moving indigenous people off of the lands that they had they had traditionally um, looked after t- uh, lands that you know rivers that they fished places where they grew food and were moved and where they had to learn you know relearn lands and moved into areas that weren't as often as fertile so celebration of harvest is like thank you for the harvest for the land that we stole so it's uh just kind of it's maybe i would say it's sticking in my craw a little bit just trying to think about these things in ways that i hadn't before as is my privilege to just blithely wander through life uh, being like pumpkin pie, baby, let's go, as opposed to uh, whatever else. And with that, I want to do the housekeeping bit where I say, <laughs> uh, uh, make sure you subscribe to Spin Rate uh, because we go on weird tangents, usually at the end of the show, but sometimes at the beginning mm-hmm. about the meaning of Thanksgiving. People but most important, going to check. They're going to say, what what podcast am I listening to again? You're listening to Spin Rate. And you should subscribe if you haven't already. This is your first time. If you're like, oh, I need to know what's going on with the Blue Jays this offseason. I need an offseason primer. I would say, I've got a primer for you. Let's get primed for the Blue Jays offseason. And also, let's reconsider what it means to celebrate Thanksgiving in a time of harvest and bounty in a world, in a country that was stolen from the people who lived here for generations before any white person ever stepped foot. You can also subscribe, of course, to The Athletic. If you go to theathletic.com slash spin rate, you can get hooked up for... A whole year, I'll give you a tidy deal, and that way you'll get everything that Caitlin writes, when she's, whether she's on vacation or otherwise. <laughs> if the news breaks, Caitlin will be there with bells on, breaking it down. There are signings, there are rewards, there's so much to talk about this coming off season. So, and we can also even talk a little bit about the playoffs that have been going on. Of course, since last we spoke, the Yankees out, sent packing by the Red Sox. A battle of two frauds, the least fraudulent rose to the top. And now that same fraud, fraudulent band of Red Sox are maybe on the way to ushering out the Rays. At the time of us recording here right now, it is five to one Boston in game four of a series that they, those Red Sox lead two games to one. Have you been watching the playoffs, Caitlin? Yeah, I have not been watching it 
completely thoroughly, but I've watched enough of it to know what's happening. Um, I um, was pretty certain that the Red Sox were going to win that wild card game. Just watching the two teams, knowing how Fenway can play, knowing the Yankees, um, sometimes their offense can come up short. And generally speaking, Boston's offense tends to be their team strength for them. I don't know. I just kind of wasn't – and like I saw a lot of, um, you know, baseball insiders or whoever picking the Yankees to come out of that game. But, yeah, I was not really surprised to see it was the Red Sox. They're just – and you've talked about this constantly. Is like every time you think the Red Sox are just going to bow out, they don't. Like they just – you know, they are – I don't know that you can – you know, measure this or anything, but like, they just seem to be kind of a charm team this year. Like they just kind of get knocked down a little bit, but they don't get knocked down completely. And then they find ways to win. And like, they are playing really well against the Rays and they won that game big after they went down early. And you thought it was like, you know, Chris Sale was out of the game and you thought it was like kind of spelling, um, you know, the end for them. And, they came back and yeah, they like they look pretty pretty well situated right now, although it's just a sixth inning as we're recording, so we'll see what happens. Shout out to great Canadian Nick Pavetta, who pitched his Canadian ass off through throwing four innings of a high leverage relief. Just absolute incredible performance. Just the thing that everyone has been expecting from Nick Pavetta for so long. Who who looked you know for uh, such a such a talented pitcher who was never really able to kind of put it together and then I saw Craig Goldstein who's been on the show before saying like oh I get it now right like watching Nick Pavetta being like for so long people have been like no he's 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 gonna take this step forward he's got so much his you know his his so toolsy his pitches have uh, he's got so much to offer that high fastball high you know then the curveball thing. Um, but he just looked awesome. So shout out to Nick Pavetta and uh, shout out to the race for uh, the, after the watching game one, I was like, okay, well this is it, right? Like the Rays are not they're They looked so good. And then the pitching has abandoned them. And, and I, somebody else I saw made a point. Everyone who listens to this show knows that they, what was their record against the Orioles this year? 18 and one. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody made a point that they beat, between the Orioles, the Angels, might have been the Mariners and the and Cleveland, they were like this is a, a guy named Ben that I follow online who said something like they were thirty five and four against those teams, and then like sixty five and fifty eight against everybody else, which is like not uncommon for good teams. Like the Blue Jays beat up on the Orioles, the the Red Sox beat up on the Orioles. Other than the Yankees, everyone kind of had their way with them. But I just wonder about the way that the Rays are just reliever, reliever, reliever. By the time you get to the end of the season, it can be maybe tough to win that way in the playoffs. I don't know. They made it to the World Series last year in what was a weird and shortened season. But starting pitching has an outsized role in the playoffs. I think that that, that much is a settled science, I guess we could say. So when the Rays don't have, you know, missing, uh, what's that big kid with the hair, Tyler Glasnow, uh, it, they're at a bit of a disadvantage because they don't have those starters that they can rely on. Of course, neither the Red Sox. Who's pitching well for the Red Sox? Nobody. Uh, and on the other side, the White Sox decided they were going to show up and give the Astros a bit of a series. So at this point, they were rained out here today on Monday when we were recording. And that series is 2-1 for Houston. And in the National League, uh, Milwaukee stumbling a little bit to uh, in their series against Atlanta. And then the uh, blessed Giants and Dodgers series. It's going on and uh, looking like a lot of fun. Also, I, wa- I was watching Max Fried pitch the other night, and he looked so good. Mm-hmm. Max Fried pitched really, really well. We'll be right back with more Spin Rate, but first, check this out. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Caitlin, let's talk about the Blue Jays who did not make the playoffs, even though they're probably the better, better of those three or even four teams in the American League East. You don't have to twist my arm to get me to say that out loud. But they're not playing right now. But they do have lots of stuff coming up in the offseason. You've written a few different things. Maybe we'll use them as like source <clears throat> materials. Okay. Source material. So number one, let's talk about what are some, what are, are there any big dates coming up or anything that's going to keep um, kind of Blue Jays fans can think about in terms of the order of, of that we can expect to see things happen here through the offseason. Yeah, so the first, everything sort of follows the conclusion of the World Series at this point. So um, teams can do little things. I mean, if teams, you know, want to fire their manager or whatever, they kind of can do that right now. Um, But generally speaking, other transactions and whatnot, um, any sort of major transactions are kind of held um, until the conclusion of the World Series. And so that um, when the World Series ends, the day after is basically when free agency opens up. Um, but of course, there's that five day window where teams and are allowed to negotiate exclusively with their own free agents. Um, it's known as the quiet period. Um, and, you know, sometimes teams can lay some groundwork during that time, but, um, I think typically it's not really seen as a time where a lot of action takes place. And then, you know, it's also a time period where pl- uh, teams have to decide whether they want to extend a qualifying offer to uh, any of their free agents who are eligible for it. So that is something that um, the Blue Jays will be thinking about. There's um, two guys that I think are going to almost certainly get qualifying offers. There's one guy who is probably on the bubble. Um, so, Simeon and Robbie Ray will almost certainly get a qualifying offer for the Blue Jays um, that gives the Blue Jays protection. If they sign elsewhere, they get those compensation draft picks back. Um, And I think the guy that's on the bubble, who's more of an interesting case, would be Steven Matz. Um, The way he pitched this year, I think you could make sort of the argument that maybe he um, pitched well enough to earn a qualifying offer. Um, We're not sure what the value of that is, but typically in the last couple of seasons or off seasons, it's been anywhere between 17 million and almost 19 million. um, And it's a one year deal. Um, And so his is an interesting case. I'd be interested in hearing what you think about that, just knowing that we kind of are both assuming that Robbie Ray and Simeon are going to get those offers, reject them because they want to go to free agency and make a lot more money than $20 million. I don't think that that is speculative on on either of our parts to assume that Robbie Ray and and Marcus Simeon will both receive and then turn down um, the, the qualifying offer. Which is, you know, Stephen Matz is, is an interesting case because Stephen Matz is the thing, is the guy that that thing works against often the mm-hmm. most. He's very much in baseball's middle class as much as a middle class person can earn eighteen or nineteen million dollars for a year's work. But I think that it's a worthwhile gamble for the Blue Jays to off to offer him it. My, mm-hmm. my thinking. So as you were describing it, I was kind of like kicking the ideas around in my head. I think because if he, it, it's almost like they're playing chicken. Yeah. But I think if they offer it to him, he'll accept it. And I'm, if I'm the Blue Jays, I'm happy with that. So like I was looking, I was writing this about this a couple of days ago and like, you know how Fangraphs has that like sort of value at the bottom um, where it kind of estimates based on the player's war, what their value is. And so what mm-hmm. Steven Matz did in 2021 season, it was like 2.8. Um, war, uh, Fangraphs war, and that was worth about $22 million. So um, if you're assuming that the qualifying offer is coming in around like $19 million, let's say, and he was to repeat what he did in 2021, you're getting, if you're the Blue Jays and he accepts, you're getting excellent value on him. He could also look at that and say, I'm worth more than, and, and that that's an interesting, because like, as you say, it's kind of right on, right 
at the level of Eddie's at. If he's a $20 million pitcher um, and it says his value is about $22 million, whatever, give or take, and the qualifying offer comes at $19 million, it is like a game of chicken because there's a fair argument to say he will accept it. And if you're the Blue Jays, you're fine with that. There's also an, an argument where he could say, you know what, I think I'm worth a little bit more than that. And I'm only thir- going into my age 31 season. And I think I can get two or three years and I want to take the gamble. And the gamble is, of course, what that qualifying offer hangs on a player like him is that draft pick, right? And we've seen the Blue Jays sort of not be afraid of that. Um, like Springer had one, um, didn't really stop them. Um, and so there's certain teams where if they want a guy, like that's not going to really hang them up, but there's certain other teams that maybe they don't want that draft pick, um, to lose that draft pick. So, um, it's all, and I think we can kind of talk about all this with the, um, understanding that there's the CBA, um, is expiring on December 1st. And as far as I understand it, teams are now, teams are just operating status quo until that December 1st. So, Everything that applied in the CBA that's current, so qualifying offers, those are working the same way. Mm. It'll be interesting um, what changes, you know, if there's a new deal after December 1st. But as far as I understand it, everyone's just operating status quo because there's no other way to operate. They can't sit around and and do nothing anticipating yeah. labor strife or anticipating, you know, a brand a new, deal new or, completely yeah. new, newly constructed CBA. But I don't think it's unfair to think that there are parts and pieces that are going to be, that are going to look a lot different um, come April, fingers crossed, when the season starts on, on time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very much in favor in the players getting a good deal and making sure that they are represented well with all of the different revenue streams and and not pushed into corners and and then it becomes a matter of like what are the things that you're willing to negotiate what are the things that you're willing to trade off if they want to if they want uh different pieces if they want if there's a growing movement to to include higher or better pay for minor leaguers what is that gonna what's that negotiating piece gonna look like what is it they're gonna have to give up if that's if they have to give up anything um but the qualifying offer could definitely be something that is definitely a, an owner friendly piece. It is, it is something that I would, I don't think it's unfair to say is a bit of a wage suppressant for mm-hmm. folks exactly like Stephen Matz, because that is going to rule out some teams that might want to be in the Stephen Matz business. Uh, and then, you know, the, the dollars per win thing is always interesting because I don't know that that relationship is as, is as strong as it used to be. You know, I think for a long time there were so many of those pre-arbitration deals that were signed, and so many, um, uh, you know, this not as many folks get to free agency, and that as, as baseball's middle class sort of hollowed out a little bit, some of those dollar per win kind of conversions started to be a little odd. But I think, but at the same time, I don't think that sticker shock, shock aside, paying nineteen million dollars for one year of Steve Matz probably shouldn't be too. Scary because, but then the alternative is maybe a deal similar to the one that maybe the Blue Jays signed for Jay Happ, right? When they gave Jay Happ, what was it, three years and $36 million after Jay mm-hmm. Happ sort of had a, a strong season split, what, between uh, Seattle and Pittsburgh and, uh, and then, and then re-signed with Toronto ahead of the 2016 season. So, um, you know, is, I guess the question is, is there fa- enough faith in Stephen Matz in the, in the, in the market that someone could say, or, or his agent can say safely, we will turn down this Q, this QO. And then go off and accept a three-year deal of thirty or two and twenty-four or whatever it might be. And I think a lot of times it comes down to the to the individual. And if you know, some I can't remember who it was. Somebody recently I saw talking about how free agency was like the worst experience of their life, their professional life. They hated it. They hated the the meat market aspect and not knowing and the season leading up. They really did not enjoy the process. And I don't think that's that's unique. So if you're Stephen Mast and you're like, I do not want to go through this again. I'm not. Not, not that you don't want to bet on yourself and not that you don't believe that you can come and build an even bit better springboard if you sign like a, you know, do what Marcus Simeon did effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't, if you would rather not do that and you don't think that you're going to be able to perform your best by, by taking a, that kind of a risk, then go and get that two or three year deal if it's out there. So there's a lot of internal calculus, maybe we could say that, that surrounds, um, Stephen Matz. Yeah, I think so. And I think you, I I think you've laid it out. And, um, it's also interesting, like, about whether he sees some value in just coming 
back with the Blue Jays for one year and giving it another go because he enjoyed playing with them. And um, and if he is confident he can repeat his success, maybe he feels okay taking that somewhat risk of saying, I think I can repeat what I did and set myself up even better so somewhat. But at the same time, like you're, you're limited to how many times you can get that big paycheck as you know. Right. Like, so mm-hmm. if he, if he feels like this is, you know, I'm coming off one of my better seasons. Um, the timing's great here. Uh, and as much as it would be nice to take 20 million right now and know I have a job for next year, like if you don't have the, that kind of success, maybe you kind of back yourself into a corner and you lose. Um, so, you know, I think that it actually might be worthwhile for the Blue Jays to extend the offer. Um, if I had to guess, I think he might reject it. And then the Blue Jays are sort of okay because then they're looking at three players that reject the qualifying offers and they protect themselves with getting those draft picks back. Um, and it also helps them to somewhat, to your point about suppressing value and suppressing the market a little bit, it does give them somewhat of a leg up in negotiating, maybe less so with Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon because they are just so good, but maybe if with a guy like Steven Matz where teams are a little bit less because um, he's going to be sort of fitting in a more fourth or fifth starter role, maybe teams are a little bit less inclined to um, you know, offer that draft pick for a guy like him and maybe it does give the Blue Jays a leg up in, okay, in negotiating, as you say, a two or three year deal with Steven Matz. Yeah, which uh, that's a great point. That that uh, I really I really agree that that is a bit of a bit of a, a backdoor for the Blue Jays as well. That if he mm-hmm. does um, decline the deal or the offer, then the Blue Jays still have the inside track uh, potentially to re-sign him. And that's when you start to do similar to what we saw with Robbie Ray, where they got that deal done so quickly last winter mm-hmm. because if, if Stephen Matz it feels comfortable working with Toronto, work, working in Toronto, working with Pete Walker and Matt Bushman and the entire team that that helped him to to become the guy that had this great season uh, in, in 2021, if he thinks... I can replicate that here. I, and, and, and then again, if he wants to do that or just if he just likes it, right? Again, that's, that's the other thing too. There's lots of options out there. Uh, you know, obviously, if, you know, even his old team, right? The Mets and, and the Yankees are, are going to be in the, in the market for starting pitching. Um, going to be teams that are going to be willing to spend. He's a guy from Long Island. So maybe he wants to go back. Maybe he'd like to live in the city, move to Toronto, move back. Come on, Stephen Mets. It's all good, but I think I think a lot of I think a lot of Blue Jays fans have that kind of Robbie Ray mode in their mind, where mm-hmm. they'll be like, just get the done, get it done real quick, get him back in at a bit of a cut rate deal, um, which I which obviously he's not going to accept because <laughs> that that's where those differences fall apart because he had a great season as opposed to like a handful of good starts for yeah. Robbie Ray. It's funny because I've seen the discourse change a little bit um, in the last little bit, where I felt like m- maybe not mid season, but certainly July and August, there seemed to be a lot of um, interest in just bringing Robbie Ray back, whatever you need to do, bring Robbie Ray back. Um, But I've seen some people sort of shift and say, I was sort of a bring Robbie Ray um, back person before. And now I'm more in the camp of bring Simeon back no matter what it takes. Um, I don't know why that shift has happened, uh, but I've seen a lot of people sort of growing more concerned with whether or not Robbie Ray can repeat his success um, and whether it's just um, the value that Simeon provides as an everyday player, um, maybe the way he ended the season, whereas Robbie Ray was ending the season fine, but not as dominant as he was in July and parts of August where he was just unhittable. Um, And, you know, I've seen some concern about Robbie Ray. He's a two pitch pitcher, which is not true. He, is a four pitch pitcher. He just, uh, because the slider and the fastball were working so well for him, um, for a stretch there. And and again, in July and August, I think, um, where he was just guys could not tell what was coming out of his hand with those two pitches. And he got away. He didn't need to use the other ones because he was having such success. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've seen sort of concern about, well, he's a two pitch pitcher, which I don't think should be necessarily a huge concern for people because he can use the other pitches. I hear people being concerned just generally about, can he repeat his success? I don't know that he can repeat his exact success. It's really hard to come out and (laughs) have the lowest ERA among all AL starters and, um, you know, post the kind of numbers that he posted. Um, but I do think that 
everything that I talked to um, Robbie Ray about and Pete Walker about in season, and obviously they're going to be a little bit biased, um, but what he did, the mechanical changes that he made, um, the delivery that he had, the repeatability of that delivery, I think as long as he doesn't stray from that, the uh, huge walks are probably gone. Like I think a part of the issue with him with the walks was just he would tinker with his delivery and get out of a rhythm. He seems to have really um, nipped that. He seems to have really fully embraced that strategy of the Blue Jays where it's like aim for more of the plate and your stuff will play. I can't see him really backing off of that strategy because he's obviously seen it work um, for an entire season, if not a little more going back to the latter half of 2020. Um, And so I don't think that there should be concern that he's going to suddenly – morph into a guy who has a 15% walk rate, I think those days are probably gone unless something really bad happens or he really kind of gets out of his rhythm. But yeah, certainly you never know with any pitcher um, whether they can repeat the success. But, you know, I don't know that you can say necessarily that Simeon's going to come out and hit 45 home runs again. I mean, it's a lot of home runs. No one's That's ever done that. That's a lot of home runs. <laughs> no one's ever done that ever. So, um, but you know, it's just an interesting discourse. I think you could very easily have one of them come back. I think you could see a situation where neither of them comes back. I think you could see a situation where both of them come back. I think if both of them come back, that's going to be the bulk of the work the Blue Jays would do. I think if you they both came back, then it means the other additions they're making are more marginal. Um, but at the same time, I don't think the Blue Jays need wholesale changes to their team regardless. No, you're right. Um, there are, there are, you made the point earlier that, and I, that, uh, that they like Robbie Ray only gets one shot at this, right? This yeah. is, this is Robbie Ray's time to max out his next contract to figure out what's going to work best for him where you know the wares and the and and there are a million different factors and but this is his his time to get paid and the one thing i was thinking about also is like his um his slider is really interesting this is sorry i'm kind of backtracking a little bit of something that i was really thinking about because he is a two-pitch pitcher but a slider is typically a pitch that has a lot of um, like strong splits, like you know, him throwing a slider to right handers ordinarily, that's a you know, the slider is a pitch that would work better against left handed batters versus right handed batters as a left handed pitcher. But his slider works so well this year against righties that that it's maybe something that to watch and uh, something that maybe will make him make you make folks more believers in Robbie Ray and that his ability to kind of like neutralize those splits by throwing that slider. And even if he is only a two pitch pitcher, why throw the, the other ones if they don't work? If you don't need them, if you're able to bury that slider on the back foot and also flip it in, like throw it to both sides of the plate and throw it in the dirt and throw it for a strike, that's a huge weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and again, and on top of the thing that we're all kind of assuming that that you touched on here, which is that Robbie Ray is going to continue to throw strikes. But yeah, but these are these are the big questions, and I don't think we're going to answer them today. Um, we'll continue to talk about this again. Marcus Simeon has built an amazing platform. Um, if you go back as far as like 2018, obviously he wasn't the same kind of offensive player in terms of just like raw home runs, but even as in terms of uh, relative to league average, 2018 and then 2019, 2020, when you start to zoom out a little bit, the 2020 blip becomes just like a slump, right? We're talking about a 60 game sample. Then he was even mostly fine in September that month. So it was like a bad month during COVID. So, Mm-hmm. Marcus Simeon has built himself a, a spectacular platform and all the people who were giving me a hard time when I was saying that he was going to get George Springer money in like August all owe me an apology directly come to me and apologize because I, and again I get why why folks why you know Blue Jays fans do it in particular are like well maybe maybe I'd give like three years and Sixty million dollars to Mark Simeon. It's like my guy. He is not going to take that. And and you know the fans and and even people who aren't fans. They, if, you, if the more money you save, the more money you can spend on somebody else. And if you keep getting all these cut rate deals, your next thing you know, you're going to have a super team built of guys uh, make on underval with undervalued contracts. But I don't think that's going to be the case for Mark Simeon. The thing that I've spoken with so many folks about here, I remember talking to Arden Zwelling about it in particular, was that you know the market paid George Springer as much. That this was Arden's point that like it's it's not just like a 
like a, it's not a rational or it's not necessarily, it's not a, uh, like an efficient market, right? The, the market helps to set the price. Mark, George Springer got what he got because of there were the, that few out teams that, yeah. uh, that few other players out there. And there were only a certain amount of teams that were looking with story with Trevor story, Corey Seager, Mark Simeon, Carlos Correa, the market's going to look a lot, a lot differently, but yeah. And I think, I think more teams are going to be spending this winter as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Well, a huge when there's amount, a salary like, cap, they don't have to worry. <laughs> but also just like, I think that one thing is like, the trade deadline and how active it was and how mm. many teams were um, buying, like I think kind of leads me to believe that there's more teams willing to want to at least make up some mon- revenue lost in the couple seasons where they haven't made as much because of um, capacity restrictions and all that kind of stuff. There's some, um, some inclination to spend a little more, make the team better um and i think just like like last year there was like five teams like the the whole kind of joke was that the jays were in on everyone because they were like one of a handful of teams that were actually going to be spending on players and like you looked at the offseason obviously the george springer deal was a huge bulk of it but like they were one of the top spenders but there really wasn't many teams spending i think this season there's just going to be more available players and there's probably going to be more teams spending. So I would agree that like, there's not as much as the arbitration system is kind of flawed. Um, it is a system in which you, you use comps and you come up with salaries based on comps. Um, that doesn't exist in free agency teams do that internally. They say, okay, this player is like this player and this, this is what we value him as. And this is, what we'll go to and this is the term we'll go to and this is our offer and take it or leave it kind of thing. Like teams do that, but there's not, uh, you know, a, a arbiter that comes in and says, okay, this is what you have to take. Like that doesn't exist in free agency. It's all up to the player and the team and to figure mm-hmm. out that. And so obviously with Springer, like the Blue Jays were willing to go 150 million over six years. Um, would they be willing to do that for Simeon? Like potentially if they did it one year early, potentially not because they now have to consider, you know, other guys on their roster and Vladdy's going to start making a lot more money now and Boba Shett's going to start making a lot more money soon. And they've got to consider extensions for some of their young guys. Um, also Barrios, if they want to keep him and like, there's Thank all you. these, all these more considerations um, that uh, they have to consider. So considerations they have to consider. Wasn't a great, <laughs> I'm glad you said Jose Barrios. I think that that he is a, as good an extension candidate as there is. Teoscar yes. Hernandez is another, you know, guy that is, uh, playing himself into that conversation, mm-hmm. um, love uh, love Teoscar Hernandez, and he's again he's building up quite the platform to to earn um, a, a hefty raise uh, because there's more and more signal and less noise when we start to to look back at like mm-hmm. how long has has Teoscar Hernandez been this guy, and as there's more and more evidence to suggest that this is who he is now, as opposed to. Because I think on its own, 2021 might stand out a little bit. He hit for a high average, still stri- didn't strike out quite as much, but didn't really walk, hit for a lot of power. There's a lot of, it's an interesting pr- uh, profile, a little bit on the unique side. More spin rate coming up right after these words from our sponsors. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed Internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. One guy I saw you mentioned in your column, in your uh, off guide off season uh, preview column, was Corey Dickerson. And I, I, what do you think about Corey Dickerson? What do you think about the, the prospect of bringing a guy like Corey Dickerson back? Well, I guess why it made me sort of pause is just because of something that Ross Atkins said in his end of season um, press conference with the media. A couple uh, would have been last week was just about their preference to diversify the offense a little bit. And so obviously it's no secret that the Blue Jays have a right-handed heavy offense. And for a lot of reasons that works for them. Um, they have an overwhelmingly aggressive offense. And again, that really works for them. They hit for power. They don't strike out. They put the ball in play. Um, they hit a lot of first pitches. They do all those things and they do them very well. And so there's not really, again, like the offense doesn't need wholesale changes. It does need some variety. And so Ross Atkins talked about sort of two things. One, bringing in a a few more left-handed batters, um, if only just to make teams think a little bit more about what pitchers they deploy, especially like late in innings where we've seen the Blue Jays sometimes struggle a little bit because, uh, you know, a hard-throwing reliever can just come in and kind of pound the strike zone, throw sliders, and they are very aggressive and they swing and, um, you know, whatnot. So diversifying the lineup with a left-handed hitter, and you saw like Corey Dickerson, um, you know, have some of those really good at-bats um, hitting down on the lineup a little bit. Um, you know, he put the ball in play. He was definitely in September a, a pretty effective hitter for the Blue Jays. Um, and then another element they need is, which isn't necessarily Corey Dickerson, but another element they need is, um, a little bit more patience in their lineup. They don't have a ton of guys that walk. Um, they didn't walk very much as a team. Part of that is because they simply just hit the ball a lot. Like they just hit for average. They get on base a lot, but they get on base a lot by putting balls in play. Um, and so they don't have a ton of guys that take a huge amount of walks. So if you added some of that, so guys that more lean towards on base percentage as opposed to hitting for average, um, maybe that helps your lineup. And, and the thing is sick too, like I was looking at this, like Bougies don't see a lot of pitches. Like if you look at like the average number of pitches per plate appearance, it's one of the lowest in the league. Part of that is because they hit the first pitch so much. Um, they just, you know, they're, they're at bats are short. Um, and so they actually like average fewer than four pitches per plate appearance. Um, you know, they just, they don't have guys that take a lot of walks. And so if you add that, you know, is that, Kevin Biggio writing himself, or do you add, um, do you add to the lineup as well? So I guess Corey Dickerson was more the lot, the f- former thing I was talking about was just like, you know, you have to add left-handed bats. And I, I, to be honest, I haven't done my full deep dives yet on like, who's going to be out there. This was more just like taking a look at like, what do the Blue Jays have? What decisions do they have sort of pertaining to their own roster? And like, is there any interesting candidates that you want to bring back? So I haven't done a full deep dive of like, okay, who are the other like left-handed bats that are going to be available? Um, and what does it mean for the Blue Jays? But I think if you just looked at the roster and like Corey Dickerson, he's a nice compliment to like, Randall Grichuk, um, platoon partner. Um, so it's just something like, you know, do you bring him back? I don't think it's a bad uh, question to ask. My thing with Corey Dickerson, and I've been thinking about this a little bit recently, actually, is that my problem with Corey Dickerson is that, like, the sorry, the value I see in him and when why, you know, Ross Atkins might have uh, brought him up and, and the points that you've just made uh, is that, like, it's, you know what you're getting, mm-hmm. right? Like, Corey Dickerson is there. He's in the mix. He was part of the team if if everybody's cool with him if he gets along if you know they know what he offers but th- but that is m- why I am what would be much 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 more inclined to wait I am not in a hurry to get Corey yeah. Dickerson locked back up because I don't think it would be very difficult to find someone who does the similar things to Corey Dickerson but does many or all of them better mm-hmm. because Corey Dickerson doesn't really do anything well, I think is kind of the problem. He can catch a fly ball playing left field, uh, can't throw it, doesn't really, didn't really hit for power, 
didn't even really hit for that much of like a, of an average. Again, he, he is a, a worthwhile kind of counterpoint or antidote to the, the Blue Jays kind of same, same, sameness. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are lots of options to make an upgrade with a guy who's not unlike that, but maybe does some of the other things better. Right. Yeah. And I agree you, with that. And if you can get like which, so there were some rumors that were, that were coming around that came out the, this week. Uh, I think it might have it might have been Shai Davidi who had, had been writing about it that um, the Blue Jays were in fact in on Jose Ramirez at the trade deadline, as well as Robbie Grossman. Now Robbie Grossman is an interesting name to me. Um, I think that that he is he kind of fits that bill. He can play almost all the outfield positions. He is uh, he does hit left-handed at least some of the time. Um, I don't know if he's a split a switch hitter. I don't think he is, but in my head, I'm not sure. But like a guy like that is is a bit of a, a souped-up version of Dickerson that you could get at a relatively low acquisition cost and uh, and and kind of do address those problems and 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 take care of those 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 problems with a little bit more um, with a little bit more upside. I guess is maybe the maybe the angle that I'll take. Here's another name that I'm just going to throw out, and I'm as I'm going to say, and I'm going to look it up to see if it's even uh, feasible. <laughs> okay. um, Max Kepler. Oh, he's got a big contract. Yeah, even more. All the all the better. Max Kepler. Bring me Max Kepler. I'm into that. He's German. He's a German big leaguer. Can you believe it? Bring him around. Uh, Max Kepler signed a five year deal. Um, that takes him with a team option for 2024. Eh, it's dirt cheap. So he actually, he would be expensive. He would, he would cost a lot. His acquisition cost would be much higher because his contract is so team friendly. 28 years old though, just finishes a 28 season. But what does Minnesota want? Does Minnesota want to be good or do they want to be bad? If they want to be good, they should keep Max Kepler. But anyway, now what else? What else is on the horizon in the off season, we got award season, mm-hmm. which you'll hear lots from us because the Blue Jays can Blue Jays and Blue Jays players can expect to be busy during award season. Yeah, I think so. I think they'll at least be busy for a couple of them. I think we can sort of speculate that Alec Manoa could, you know, gain a voter too for Rookie of the Year. I don't think he spent enough time in the majors. I think Rookie of the Year, which, full disclosure, I voted for this year. I won't reveal my vote. Um, but I did vote. And the in, the thing that's not unlike MVP, but a little bit different than MVP, is that, like, Rookie of the Year, you're voting. You're putting position players against um, position players against pitchers. And so, I mean, like, with the MVP, you know, you do have the Cy Young Award. So a lot of people will steer towards um, – Position players, or mm-hmm. if you're the Angels uh, pitcher slash position player, both. Why not both? Why not both? <laughs> but generally speaking, um, MVP, you know, a lot of the time will go to a position player because Cy Young goes to the pitcher. So, but rookie is you are you have to pick one rookie, run standout rookie, and you're comparing position players. And so sometimes it's hard when there's a position player and he's playing 140, 150 games for his team, and you're comparing to a starter that made 20 starts like Alec Manoa. It's you mm-hmm. know it's hard to say well this you have to really really stand out. Um, but I do think that like. He is certainly probably gained consideration. I certainly considered him when I was making my decision. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, we might hear his name said. Um, I think manager of the year is always one of those things where it's really hard to predict. Um, it's usually like I've never voted for it, but like I think writers have a hard time voting for it. And you kind of have to like just go by team performance and kind of like which manager led a team that I didn't think was Unexpe- necessarily exactly unexpected team performance. Yes. Did yes. not expect that team to be as good. They must have a brilliant manager. And then the guy gets fired the next year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Which is like Rocco Baldelli, who won manager of the year a couple of years ago. And now his job is a little bit in jeopardy uh, with in Minnesota. The, the rookie thing is interesting. And I like the way that Keith law has, has explained his, the way that he votes on it, where Keith law tries to find the balance I don't want to put too many words in his mouth, but between like the performance, but also the trajectory, like this is a good opportunity to reward a future star or like get someone on more folks radar because he is going to figure prominently into like the story of the game in the next couple of years, which 
you know, so to avoid maybe like a, his example, I think that he uses all the time is like Angel Baroa, who won, who was like an older rookie who won and then had never, didn't have much of a career. Uh, and, and it's, so it's okay. How much do you weigh playing time versus performance? And, and that's where sort of you can, the wins above replacement as a, as a model kind of might fall apart a little bit because Alec Manoa pitched, I think, better than Casey Mize. But he didn't pitch as much, mm-hmm. and he didn't pitch quite. Did he? He pitched not quite as well as as Luis Garcia, but maybe and didn't pitch as much. So it's like that starts to get harder to make the case for him over yes. Garcia. Yeah. And then it's okay. What about Wander Franco versus Randy Rosarena? Like Wander Franco is a star. Like he already is a star. We don't even have to imagine what it's going to be like. He had another home run tonight. The last time I checked, it was five to three mm-hmm. for the Red Sox. Yep. But like, so do you vote for Franco because he is the next big thing in the game? Uh, or do you vote for Rosarena, who is, you know, kind of famous for his postseason exploits? Shout out to that steal of home. That was uh, that was the one that I was like, man, this race, I don't know how you can anyone can ever beat them. And the Red Sox are like, oh, we just hit home runs when we need to. And then we win. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's a tough one. It's tough because... I think Manoa deserves, if nothing else, like a down ballot shout. You know, if I'm not sure if you vote for three, you vote for you three only rookies, vote for right? three, which is tough. And I think when I was like evaluating, like you could come up with a solid list of five that I think you could make the case that are deserving of some recognition for their rookie season. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like just to underline, like I do like Keith's point, um, kind of what you said, but almost like also just capturing the essence of the award, which is. You also want to take into account age sometimes, like to do something at age 20, um, like someone like Wander Franco is doing, as opposed to sometimes you can have rookies that are like 28. Um, and, you know, not to say that um, age should dictate how we evaluate players and whatnot, but, you know, you should kind of credit someone who's doing what they're doing at such a young age. Um, and like Wander Franco, I mean, he's just, it's it's not like a, you know, a fluke, like he's going to be a star, you say. So like this, or I like Keith's way of looking at it. Like you want it, the essence of the award is to capture, you know, a true rookie performance that again is someone who you think is, has lasting staying power. Um, and so, um, it is, it is a tough, I, I've voted actually every time that I voted, I voted for rookie of the year. It's, it's my award that I, I don't know. It's my, it's your, my, it's your cross to bear. It's my, it's my, <laughs> no, it's more my comfort zone, honestly. Oh, okay. Like, I, I don't know. I've done it now a few times. So like, I kind of feel comfortable doing it. Um, I guess it would be in some ways, like I said, like it's not necessarily easier to vote for any of them, but if you are voting for Cy Young, for example, at least you're only considering, um, more or less starting pitching. I guess sometimes a reliever stands out so much that he can earn the award, but most years it goes to the best starting pitcher. When was the last reliever to win? That's a great question. Um, the, yeah, I, I think that you, you, I agree with that, the, the piece about age as well, because Vlad, as an example, mm-hmm. doesn't get credit in the Cy Young. He shouldn't get extra credit in the Cy Young race for being sorry the mvp race (laughs) because that's the other guy he shouldn't get credit in the mvp race for being young right but in the rookie of the year uh uh uh, criteria i can see that fitting into that man rick porcello won the cy young what the fuck so (laughs) sorry yeah uh so yeah i get that it's uh i think that's that's a that's a fair bit of thing to consider now, we're, these are not supposed to be long shows, but here we are. Uh, well, we just have two more awards to go. And two more awards to go. Up. Okay, Cy Young. Cy Young. I think it's going to be a tight, tight um, finish between Robbie Ray and Garrett Cole. Um, just kind of reading the sort of online, you know, like outlets kind of vote for their Cy Young winners unofficially. I think Jason Stark. Um, typically does a piece where he kind of goes over who he would vote for um, for all the awards. I think he picked Robbie Ray over Garrett Cole. Um, and I think uh, it really did come down to the finish. Um, and they both kind of wobbled a little bit down the stretch in September. Um, but, 
ERA goes to Robbie Ray. Um, innings pitch, which is a big one, also goes to Robbie Ray. I think he made more starts. Um, I think in terms of like counting numbers, I think Robbie Ray had the most strikeouts. I think rate stats skew more towards Garrett Cole. So like, you know, strikeouts per nine, walks per nine, and home runs was a bit of a trouble spot for Robbie Ray. I think you can probably put some of that in perspective of where he was pitching. Um, so Dunedin and Buffalo were obviously more hitter-friendly ballparks. Um, if you look at his numbers at the Rogers Center, for example, they're really good. Um, I think he stands a good chance. I don't think it's going – I think it's going to be pretty close. I think that um, Garrett Cole is probably going to get some first-place votes um, for some people. Like, I think Keith Law, when he did his – um, evaluation. He had Garrett Cole first, I believe, um, and Robbie Ray third. So I, I don't know that Robbie Ray is, I don't think it would be an unanimous either way, whoever wins. Um, I can see in a scenario where Garrett Cole just edges out Robbie Ray perhaps, but I do think it, I do. My leaning is like, my thinking is it's going to go to Robbie Ray, but, um, that's just kind of guessing based on sort of most of the discourse that I've heard and read about it. I think that he deserves it. Yeah. I, I think also like you shouldn't, this shouldn't come into play, but the narrative of Robbie Ray is so much better for a Cy Young winner. Actually mm-hmm. like, you know, and Garrett Cole has not won the Cy Young. He's kind of been a pitcher that has been close, but just hasn't won it. You know, there's been maybe one guy better um, than him, but I'm sure he will win the Cy Young at some point, but um but Robbie Ray's narrative of going from a pitcher who, you know, walked more guys um, than the entire league um, and then comes back this year and is, you know, the best pitcher in baseball per ERA, like, that's a really great story. Like, that's a really great narrative and it shouldn't really play into um, voters' minds, you, you know, but I think if you're kind of writing the, like, Disney movie around it, <laughs> you would pick Robbie Ray. There's too much grunting and those pants are too tight for a a Disney movie. Uh, Garrett Cole, you're right, did not win the Cy Young in 2019, which almost surprised me. He struck out 326 guys that year. 326 strikeouts. He had a 185 ERA plus. Um, He did not pitch as many innings as his uh, teammate, Justin Verlander, who, of course, won the Cy Young in 2019 in the American League. And I will note that the last reliever, I'm a fool for forgetting, the last reliever to win the Cy Young was Eric Gagne, who won it. Oh, was two- he actually the last? I thought there he, might have been someone in between. No, I thought, I thought uh, I obviously don't remember these things as well as I thought. Eric Gagne won the Cy Young in 2003. He got 28 first place votes and took it home. Um, with his, uh, you know, incredible season, he pitched uh, 82 innings that year, but he got 55 saves. He had a 337 ERA plus, which is pretty good. He struck out 137 guys in 82 innings. But Jason Schmidt had a bonkers year that year. I'm, you know, and so did Mark Pryor. Mark Pryor and Jason Schmidt both had great years. I don't know that Eric Gagne wins that in 2023. You know, that Eric Gagne season, which again, you can look, think back to another, um, like 2006, when, so the year that I exclaimed about that Rick Porcello, of all people, won the Cy Young, that was the year that Zach Britton had a shout, right? Zach Britton uh, had, a, yes. had his So it's ERA 2016. Was, yeah, his, oh my God. Zach Britton's ERA <laughs> that year was 0.54, which translates in ERA plus where 100 is league average. His ERA plus that year was 803, <laughs> <laughs> which is the, like, that's a crazy number. I've never seen one that high of anyone who's pitched more than like two innings. Uh, Gagne, or Britain had a crazy year that year, but it's still, you know, worth four wins above replacement um, by baseball reference, which for pitchers, I think is a bit of a better measure um, in terms of, especially for evaluation, for awards, right? So I don't know if, what anyone is thinking at home, uh, but again, if we want to bring it back to, to Robbie Ray, baseball reference is based on runs allowed, not based on FIP, which is maybe if you want to look forward. Who's going to be have a, have a be better into the future based on their ability to um, uh, prevent home runs and then have a greater differential between strikeouts and walks? That's a forward-looking number from my mind. Fangraphs wins above replacement baseball reference. All about just keeping runs off the board. And by that measure, Robbie Ray outpaces Garrett Cole by a significant amount, even with the error bars that are built into wins above replacement that sometimes we forget a little bit about. Um, my thing, my... my, my uh, my resolution 
is I'm not going to use fractions in Winds Above Replacement anymore because okay. it just that's that implies a specificity that isn't built into that uh, that that calculation. So you had a four win year, you had a five win year. Robbie Ray effectively had a seven win year between six and seven, and uh, and uh, Cole was more in the five six range. So do do you know? I'm sure you know who. Do you know when the last Blue Jay Cy Young winner was and who who it was? It was Roger Clemens. No, it was Roger Halliday mm-hmm. in 2003. Yes. Yes. Oh Actually, was, I was looking this up and I, for, I forgot because I was a small child, so I wouldn't have remembered. Easy. But um, <laughs> 96, 97, 98, three years mm-hmm. back to back, Blue Jays, a Blue Jays pitcher won the Cy Young. First, it was Pat Hankin. Um, who won in 96 for the f- first time a Blue Jays pitcher won the Cy Young, and then Roger Clemens won back-to-back years. Those Roger Clemens years are not discussed a lot because I think it's a bit of like a black hole. Yeah, it's like a little bit of a sore spot, I It's think. a bit of a sore spot, but if you just look at the numbers, if you go to Baseball Reference and you look at the Blue Jays record book, it, those seasons were so truly insane. Like unbelievable, the numbers that he put up and the amount that he pitched and the strikeouts. One of the, my favorite games. I, the, so you, you're ready. I'm about to age myself right in front of you here, Caitlin. <laughs> I went to a game uh, on Canada Day in 1997. So I was not 19 yet. That's that. This was this is noteworthy for how the rest of the night went that we won't talk about. But uh, that was the first year of interleague, and that was the first. Yeah, was is it the first year of interleague? Maybe not. Maybe it wasn't the first. It was. I went to watch Roger Clemens play face off against Jeff Juden on Canada Day at the Rogers Center, and it was a great game. And Juden uh, edged out Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens uh, gave up two runs in eight in the third innings and ten hits. Uh, one was a home run to uh, Rondell White. Shout out to Rondell White. Um, and then the Blue Jays lost two to one. It was one of the best games I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Jeff Juden struck out 14. He went an inning and uh, eight and a third innings as well. And then Uget Therbina, who uh, has some shady stuff happened to him after his baseball mm-hmm. career. But uh, Jeff Juden, uh, who I don't remember anything else about other than that he pitched his ass off on Canada Day that year. And then I went to many bars that should not have allowed me in. But I had the time of my life on Canada Day. 1997, when you were a very small child, if a, if a human being at all. <laughs> I was a human being, yes. Oh, um, right. So I think we it's safe to say that Robbie Ray potentially is going to become the, I guess, the third Blue Jays pitcher, but fourth time in Blue Jays history to win the Cy Young. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. And then the last award, obviously, we've talked about this a, lo- a lot on this podcast, but just to cap things off. MVP, where I think the Blue Jays will feature prominently in the runner-up categories, whereas I think there's a pretty good chance, um, if not a great chance, that Vlad will finish second, and I think Marcus Simeon will finish third. Um, and I will be. I think. I think that Vlad will get a couple first place votes. Yeah, I agree. And I think he'll get a. I can't see him getting more than a few third place votes. Like he's going to get the bulk. Of, of the, the second, second place, place votes, like I would 25 agree with that. or 26. I, would, I think that there's probably some voters who, you know, kind of look at what um, Shohei Otani did down the stretch where in the, in the sense that he wasn't as dominant as he was in the first half. And Vladdy had a pretty strong finish. Obviously, he didn't get the Blue Jays to the postseason, but he got them as close as possible without getting them there. Um, and so... Yeah, I think I think he'll just probably earn a couple of first place votes. But I agree with you. I think that you could almost say that unan. I don't think you can get second place unanimously. Maybe you can, but um, I think he will get the bulk of the second place votes. And I would say that I think Simeon's going to get the bulk of the third place votes and maybe a handful of second place votes. If um, I don't know, people are really mixing it up a little bit. But um, yeah, that and the the MVP is. Um, a tough one to vote for because you got to put 10 people down. So you really go, got to go down the list. You can see a Tioscar Hernandez couple votes on there potentially. It's so fun. Uh, truthfully, because that's when you get the wild, the wild down ballot stuff. I love yeah. it. I would love the down ballot nonsense. It's so <laughs> much fun. Um, I'd be surprised. I guess 
I mean, who else is there in the American League that might steal a second place or a third place vote? Like, who are you going to, like, Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa actually finished with a higher wins above replacement than both Simeon and Guerrero in the American League. Baseball reference. Baseball reference, right. Which, I guess, likes his defense maybe a little bit more. Um, I'm a big believer in, um, also, sometimes you can, a little bit of a a hack, you can use, there is a win probability um, number called, like, uh, what's it called? Base outs runs added. And you, if you base out runs added, which is almost like a kind of a clutch metric, and you can kind of plug that into the war calculation instead of the just uh, just regular old batting runs, because you want to maybe reward guys who hit in the clutch. I guess mm-hmm. if if that's if that is your measure of MVP. Um, so sometimes that can help, that can change things a little bit. Um, that doesn't help Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in particular, who was not uh, an excessively clutch performer this season, although he obviously led the team in wins, but win probability added uh, because he just got on base so much that it just like yeah. overwhelmed the moments when he didn't have, uh, didn't, wasn't able to rise uh, to the occasion in that way. But uh, that, yeah, I, I by that same hard... measure, Shohei Otani was the clutchest hitter in the American League because he got so many walks and he's, had some big hits. He's going to win. He's going to win. He is. He is going to win. He had a great last couple of weeks too. He 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 bumped mm-hmm. his numbers right back up, just like uh, Vlad did. Shout out to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for no other reason than he finished the season with an OPS over a thousand. Yes, he did. He got it up there at the end. Um, yeah, I. That's a good question. I mean, I don't know that there's a lot of people. I think that I think it's almost. I'm pretty confident in saying one two is almost certainly going to be. Um, Shohei and, and Vlad. I mean, Aaron Judge maybe, but I don't think that he will get any second place votes. You know, if anything, I think he's probably maybe in the top five. But I think that he would get votes. I think there could be some vote splitting with uh, Stanton, with with Stanton's kind of heroics down the stretch. I think Correa might steal a few votes just because Houston yeah. was so good. I think that Stanton and Judge. I, I think Judge deserves votes as well. Uh, and then after that, it just starts to get into a bit of like a. Dealer's choice, as, yeah, as they and there's might probably, say. Yeah, there's probably a Red Sox. I don't know if it's like Bogarts or I don't know who. Yeah, again, who would, who would be the MVP of the, of the Red Sox? Who's the MVP of the Rays? Who's the Rays' best player this year? You give it to who? A Rosarena? A Rosarena, maybe? I don't know. Uh, and same with like Chicago. Do you give it to Jose Abreu, who won last year? Do you, is he going to grab your votes? Uh, obviously, that team had a, had a rough go with injuries and, and missed – uh, you know, Lewis Robert for huge chunks of the season and Eloy Jimenez as well. Uh, they are uh, an interesting bunch. So it could be anything. Or, or what about like some Kyle Seeger or something like that? Again, for the storybook <laughs> Seattle Mariners. But no, it doesn't really matter. Otani's going to win. I can't, I'm going to get Cam, the producer Cam, to pull up, but maybe not for this episode, but for another episode. My ad read from March when I was like, bet your money on Shohei Otani winning the MVP. Yeah. My we finest hour. I, I've had a million bad takes in my life. I've had a million ridiculous predictions, but this is the one that I will hang my hat on for as long as I can. People are going to have to write you thank you cards if you won them a lot of money. Maybe put a little should, bit of a check in there yeah. and just slide your boy a couple bucks <laughs> with our friends at M- BetMGM. I don't know if BetMGM is a sponsor anymore. They were before, so shout out. Uh, that's it, Caitlin. You know what? We should get out of here. We yes. should get out. Um, let's what? just finish off with saying, though, as we're finishing our recording, the Rays have tied it. Oh, my in God. Inning, it's 5-5. Um, and Wander Franco is up with uh, a man on second and no outs. In the I would, inning. It would and, delight me to no end if Kevin Kiermeyer could just not anymore. But He did. He did. And Zunino and he's Randy Rosario. Yeah, he's been a main character. Kevin Kiermaier always finds his way. I mean, he's a he's a really good defender, um, but he, he can't hit just... at all. I don't know how <laughs> he's doing this to the Red Sox. He cannot hit. He is he is the main character on the race. Absolutely, mm-hmm. with his red ass. He's a he, he can really go get it. But um, yeah, the race you can't uh, can't count them out. Even though you may delight in doing exactly that. 
Caitlin, anything else coming up? Any other off-season guides or things that folks want to know? Well, number one, if they want to read your Mm -hmm. breakdown of the off-season, the guide and and looking ahead to to what's coming up in the off-season, you and I only got into November. There's still all kinds of... We haven't even talked about the 40-man, which we're not going to because I would rather... The Rule 5, non-tender. There's a... a, I think there's a few non-tender candidates in the the mix, but I don't know. Some pitcher, some reliever, 40-man roster crunch. Some guys are going to need to get at it, I suppose. That's another story for another day, but you can read that, of course. By And, and what else has Caitlin written? Oh, that we can listen. Maybe we'll talk about this thing. 10 things we learned about the Blue Jays. We got the 10-step plan for a successful off-season. This is all fodder for next future episodes. So read all of Caitlin's off-season listicling by going to theathletic.com slash spin rate and subscribing. Caitlin, got anything else you're going to plug? Anything big staring down the pike other than vacation? No, I'm not on vacation yet. So I will have some content coming out this week. Um, some stuff kind of focused on some of like the overview that I did. And then I'll kind of dive in on some bigger questions. Obviously the two main ones being, do you bring back sim or not? Do you bring back, but sort of just the question around, um, Simeon returning and, and Robbie Ray returning and, you know, what can sway them and, and what could potentially lead them to another team and all that kind of stuff. So um, we'll have that. And uh, yeah, lots of, lots of off season lists. That's, that's what you get in the off season. Lists. Bless them all. Bless all the lists. Oh, BetMGM is a sponsor of this week's show. Sweet. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. Read her at the athletic. My name is Drew Fair service. And we will keep rolling on with more off-season spin rate. But we want to thank you for tuning in this week. Thank you for making the first season uh, a smashing success by any metric, which is to say that I had a lot of fun doing it. So I can't, I wouldn't ask for anything else from Caitlin, who is getting her podcasting trial by fire every week and doing a wonderful job. So her name is Caitlin. My name is Drew. We will talk to you next time. Let's spin rate. 